Mayo, do we need to conduct a deliberate review process of the of your behavior and see if you've been serving the interests of the board? <laughs> Have you been fulfilling your duties? Oh, uh, what a what a hilarious four eight hours in the world of OpenAI. He's gone. He's back. He's gone. Microsoft's acquiring everybody, but then apparently he's coming back. Yeah, it said that he's open to coming back if the board all resigns. Or so. This will be out of date by the time it's released. But Any story on this is out of date about an hour after it's posted at this yeah, point. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's pretty pretty rapidly evolving, but easily one of the biggest um, like corporate coups of recent years. I saw a lot of people comparing it to the Steve Jobs situation in the 90s. The open air situation is uh, that the because they are a supposedly not-for-profit entity members of the board are upset that the company's done so well in the last year that they're now monetizing everything they can in many different ways and they basically got rid of sam altman and co-conspirators uh with uh, giving him about 20 minutes of notice on friday so that was crazy weekend and there's so much stuffing around and at least of right now it seems like microsoft have stepped up to give them the golden parachute and basically said anybody who's leaving can come join Microsoft's new AI division instead, which would be led by Sam Altman. But if the board do uh, decide to resign, then maybe they'll go back to how it was before. But yeah, pretty mental. In the world of Apple, we have some crazy news. Free satellite connectivity for the iPhone 14, <laughs> then extended for another year. So this, See, in a normal week, that would be quite crazy, yeah, right? Yeah, in a normal week. When does Apple give you something for free? But we have an even crazier story coming up next. But yeah, this is the feature that launched with the iPhone 14 last year at the time they said they were ver- they did not talk about pricing apart from saying it's available for free for two years with iPhone 14, uh, with iPhone 14 activation. Then the iPhone 15 came out this past September and again they said it has got two free years of satellite service with no mention about pricing uh, beyond that. So we have no idea what Apple's plans are in terms of monetizing this long term because they've just been coasting on the luxury of giving it to everybody for free. Uh, but literally last week they said surprise we're giving everybody up to the release of this press release on an iphone 14 an extra year so there are some so now everybody that including so i got my phone uh, at launch in 2022 right the iphone 14 pro but the emergency sos service didn't launch in november or i think it launched october in the us and november in the uk um so now my service was going to set to expire november 24 at which point apple will be put to task to decide how they're going to charge for it but because of this announcement they can now defer all of that decision making back another year because now everybody will be for every it doesn't matter when you bought your phone every iphone 14 or 15 customer will not be will not be in the paying window until at least october 2025 so Basically, Apple can say, well, we don't know yet how we're going to charge for this and we don't have to worry about it for an extra year. (laughs) I still don't know how they're going to charge for this. The most common argument is that it's a PR nightmare if somebody needs emergency SOS via satellite and they like get prompted to pay when they're trying to use it. So I don't know if it would be like a billing after the fact because you can do something like most roadside assistance services. They'll come get you and help you before you pay, but that they're going to like take your driver's license or something. Yeah, including the roadside assistance service just launched for emergency SOS. Yeah, that. Yep. You can pay at time of incident, but that re- that 
necessitates the phone talking to the satellites in the first place. So with roadside assistance via AAA on the iPhone 15 right now, uh, it says you don't have to necessarily be on a plan. You can just pay at time of incident. Um, but that would necessitate the phone always being able to connect to satellites. So, you know, it's kind of a weird sequencing issue there. I think what will probably happen before September or October 2025, there will be some more additional features that are under the satellite banner, right? Maybe just more straight consumer things like sending simple text messages or, you know, doing like some basic communication because they they already do the find my location sharing thing right Mm -hmm. and maybe that stuff is what they take to a paywall situation and then the really really like crucial emergency sos contacting 911 in your area when outside of wi-fi or cellular service will always remain free or at least be charitably remain free in that you know you can't abuse it so like you do it you get like five free per year or whatever so that covers 99.999% 99.999% of people uh, straight up and then they don't have any of the PR disasters and if you re- and maybe they or the other option that I've seen a lot of people suggest is that it just becomes like an Apple One perk so straight up you don't get it unless you get Apple One uh, but at least you're not having to pay for a completely separate service just for it there's pros and cons to that they could also make it like an Alkali Plus add-on but I think what will probably happen is by September 2025, there'll be more consumer products that rely on the satellite network that they can just straight up charge for. And that's how they monetize it and reclaim their like $400 million investment in building it out. And the emergency SOS feature specifically for calling emergency services will always remain essentially free. Yeah, whatever they do, they'll never, no one will ever end up in a situation where they're stranded and they say, oh, man, if I would have given Apple $10, I wouldn't be on the verge of death right now. I'm like, no. Whatever they do, I mean, however they implement it, people will be able to use it, even if they're billed after the fact. Or Yeah, they get so much free PR from the so success stories of this feature, right? Where SOS, emergency SOS via satellite does actually save somebody uh, that couldn't otherwise communicate. And there's press yeah. stories all over the shop. We cover loads of them, and they're really popular. Um, so they would be insane if they chose upfront money uh, over that situation. So they're not going to do that. Uh, and they I don't think they have a firm plan of what they're going to charge for. Otherwise, they wouldn't have extended it for another year. But they pushed it out a year so all those ducks can get in a line. The big news of the week, though, Apple has announced that it will adopt RCS. That's Rich Communication Services, which is the messaging standard developed by Google and the GSMA. It's basically the successor to SMS and MMS. It's a standard already used by Android and has been used by Android for years. It supports things like read receipts, typing indicators, high-quality photos and videos. Basically, a lot of iMessage-style stuff, but for non-iPhone-to-iPhone communication. Apple says it will support it starting sometime quote later next year so ios 18 probably ios 18 yeah so this won't replace imessage it's basically going to replace sms and mms imessage will continue to exist as its own separate thing for iphone to iphone and sms and mms will continue to exist as a fallback to rcs so if you're on a carrier that doesn't support rcs which i don't think there are very many that don't support it nowadays or if you're in a spot where you don't have the necessary like cellular signal to use RCS, you can still far, fall back to SMS. But in a year, ideally, this means 
pretty much everything you do will be either iMessage or RCS. But what flavor of RCS? So That's this is a true. crucial point, right? So the Apple the Apple statement specifically says RCS Universal Profile, which is the standard as currently published by the GS, GSM Association. Indeed. What Google has been pushing very heavily on Android and what's supported by the Google Messages app on Android is the RCS flavor from Google, which runs through Google servers, and that's how they provide end-to-end encryption that runs through the Google backend. Because the RCS universal profile, the current standard standard, does not support end-to-end encryption. So it supports encryption, as in, you know, the data is encrypted in flight, but ultimately where it's stored on a server is just as insecure as where all your text messages are stored. And this is a real issue because carriers have been found to, like, sell all their backlog of archives of text messages to who knows you know analytics companies um and that's one of the way they've monetized sms as sms has become like just you know you get unlimited text for free right in the old days they they had a great business where they charge you per text message and it was like the most (laughs) you know the biggest margin thing ever where a carrier could literally charge you like you know 50p for like a one kilobyte data transfer that was already going over the phone line but in the modern era everyone basically does unlimited text and some of those carriers, whether publicly or less publicly, then monetize it in other ways, as well as being a security nightmare because, you know, your your text messages when sent over SMS are literally sent in plain text and plenty of people in between that chain can read them. Mm-hmm. The RCS standard is slightly more secure than that, but it doesn't reach the level of an end-to-end encrypted service like iMessage or Telegram or, you know, WhatsApp or anything of, of that nature. The uh, Google uses like a different version of rcs which does support that but that runs through google's servers and very specifically what apple says in this statement is not they're going to use the google version they're going to use the rcs universal profile they did say they're going to work with the standards body to make it more feature rich and best and improve security over time but that's clearly not on the agenda for the short term what they're shipping later next year is rcs universal profile and so that's the encryption story right so obviously apple's still going to be pushing iMessage is the most secure messaging experience. The statement also says iMessage will continue to be the best messaging experience, right? So what features of RCS Universal Profile will the Messages app actually support? It doesn't Apple doesn't actually pledge any specific feature. So yes, technically RCS does provide higher, you know, bigger file sizes for attachments and MMS, MMS and it does so theoretically support typing indicators. And it does support group chat. But if you just take Apple's statement at their like two sentences, they don't actually commit to any of that. So there is some ambiguity about exactly what they could support. Because they could very well just like support the same features that SMS do, but over the RCS standard give you better encryption and take it over the the data network. It doesn't necessarily say they're going to support higher quality attachments or location sharing or anything specific. So the statement itself doesn't say that, but some of the background talking points that they gave us, and it's in my story too, they say Mm. that their flavor, their adoption of RCS will include read receipts, typing indicators, high quality images and videos, and location sharing. So 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 that is what they went for, okay. So their implementation will support those things which my interpretation of it is like that's kind of the bare minimum of rcs are those things okay that's 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 better already because i assume they're going to support some of those things but it wasn't clear which specifically 
because you don't necessarily have to to be a form to the standard, right? right? Yeah. Um, and they're obviously going to, you know, all new features are still going to come to iMessage first, at least until they get standardized, right, and come to elsewhere. So a good example is like the check-in thing they launched with iOS 17, right? Mm-hmm. They would call that an iMessage feature, and there's probably not a direct co- a direct comparison for that exact feature in the RCS standard. So what's probably going to happen is it will just be iMessage exclusive, right? So that's that's part of the reason why it, they continue to say that iMessage would be the best and most secure message experience because they're going to push that still primarily. But it is really, really nice that now they're going to commit to RCS instead of SMS uh, or MMS in the more degenerate case for communication with other devices like Android and stuff. Because like there was, there was always an argument that you could say that Apple was intentionally not making the non-iMessage part of the message that's better to promote their own platform and make people buy their own hardware, right? I mean, Tim Cook's even said this in interviews at conferences. Like, <laughs> someone asked him about supporting RCS, and he was like, just buy your mum an iPhone instead, you know, like, in uh, instead of supporting this stuff. So now it's way, way, way harder to levy those kind of criticisms. Um, there is still going to be that because people are going to get hung up over the colour of the bubbles situation, which I think is kind of stupid. Yeah. But the raw functionality is going to be up to par with most. Like, if they support read receipts, type indicators, and then high-quality image and videos, like, you can't really blame them for much. Like, that's like, the, the especially the images and the, photos, yeah. video sharing. Like, that's a huge factor because MMS is like a way, way, it's like a 15-year-old standard, right? Like, the, the biggest file size you can send on MMS is like one megabyte. It's like tiny. So you try and send a text. You, if you do a traditional text message sending a photo, the resolution, the quality is awful. It's like a postage stamp. Like, it's, way, it's clearly inferior to what you can send over, like, any other modern messaging app, including, I, including iMessage. And I think most regular people, they don't know that, that's the reason why it's not like that like the, you know the technical explanation here is almost irrelevant they just know that when they send it and it looks blue it's going to look good quality and when you send it when it looks green it's going to look bad quality well now when it looks green and they send it it's going to be good quality so these a lot of the stigma of terms of functionality between blue and green bubbles will now fall away i mean that's the reason like me and my grandma still email pictures to each other because she has an android mm-hmm. phone and i have an iphone and it just like you said, it's a postage stamp of an image. I think the higher quality images and videos are by far the going to be the biggest selling point of RCS for quote unquote regular people. Like one day, all of a sudden, their stuff's going to start looking better, and they might not know why, but the reasoning is RCS. And I believe they will also be using RCS for group messages, right? Yes. So, you know, group messages over SMS is like a big hack. Like it's just like. <laughs> you know can bubble together because there's no concept of a thread in sms right like apple just kind of overlaid that when they did the original iphone in 2007 uh, iMessage obviously has a threading concept you can have group chats with multiple people in rcs is has a has a group message system as well which i believe apple will be using you know when they roll this out and that directly benefits apple users too because if you have you know, five Apple users and one Android user in a group chat. In a group chat, right now it degrades to SMS, mm-hmm. right? Whereas now it only degrades to RCS. So most of those features will continue to work, um, which is great. Are you know? It, are you still going to have the teenagers factors of like social bullying and stuff about green and blue bubbles? Probably, but like that's just stupid. Like at some point, it 
the fashion arguments I can't really care for. Like Apple, if if you if you make it feature parity to like your best of your ability, it's hard for me to get hang up about that. Because the thing with the green bubbles is everyone's like, oh, the Apple intentionally picks green because it's like an ugly, dirty <laughs> color. It's like no, SMS messages on iPhone have always been green. Like the original iPhone, all the way up until 2012, every text you sent on iPhone was green. It's only they, they added iMessages blue just to make it a different color to green. And then it was the lack of functionality that over time, you know, mustacitized green as being the bad color, supposedly. Um, and so now at least all the reasons why there is the stigma about green bubbles will slowly go away, which is great. And in Apple's eyes, there's a clear reason why even RCS is still green iMessage is blue and iMessage represents the most secure way of messaging because iMessage is end-to-end encrypted the entire process. Like that distinction in my talks with Apple is very important. iMessage has better security, better privacy. RCS is better than SMS, but it still doesn't get anywhere close to what iMessage offers. Yeah, on security and functionality on the yeah, Apple exactly. to evolve iMessage way faster than RCS. And if the what you see like um you know, apps like WhatsApp do is they support um end-to-end encryption for like one-on-one chats but not group chats, right? Or at least they that might be the case. I, they might have changed that recently, but at least, at least that was the case for a while. And so they didn't change the color of the bubbles, but they would just have a big banner whenever you went into a message, be like, This is the one that's end-to-end encrypted, right? Or this is yeah. the one that's less secure. Um so if they weren't gonna if they were gonna unify on color in messages, they then you'd still have to have a ugly banner like that, which everyone would still go, well, look, Apple's making the old version look worse compared to iMessage because there's a big banner at the top telling so you not to use it. So they're never gonna, you know, always win there. They're always gonna get criticism from people that want to criticize. You can't really complain anymore. If they support RCS in good faith with those features, like you just said they would, it's really hard to pin this as like an Apple lock-in thing anymore. Just because they use two different colors to represent two different messaging services. So why do you think Apple chose right now to make this announcement? So there's a lot of theories that it's related to the EU, right? And that is probably a big factor. But I think people are simplifying it slightly in like the tweets and coverage about this because like they say, well, the Digital Markets Act is coming to effect next year and that requires that Apple adopts, you know, messaging apps of scale uh, like iMessage, which is going to fall under us, uh, the DM- Digital Markets Act, unless the Apple appeal goes through. Uh, like, obviously, the the EU wants iMessage to be including. Apple is fighting against it legally, but we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but essentially, the the go to line on the internet is like, well, Digital Markets Act means that Apple needed to add RCS support to work better with other platforms. Here's the thing, right? The Digital Markets Act is very vague. Like, it doesn't prescribe individual technologies. Like, it doesn't say all messaging apps should support RCS, right? It just says messaging apps should be interoperable with each other. So, Apple could probably, you know, wage a legal argument that if they made, like, messages compatible in different ways, even maybe to the extent of, like, the iMessage app store, they could probably use that as an argument to say they already comply or they will comply in, you know, these ways. Like, RCS itself is not the thing that makes you okay under the law of the digital markets act right it's not even clear if adding rcs is enough to satisfy the eu so this is definitely politically good for them because they can be like look we're supporting the latest standard here that is interoperable but it doesn't necessarily it doesn't immediately make them get like a a check mark on the 
legal bill of the EU. The EU could come back still and be like, well, we left this language very open intentionally because we want you to do this, 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 and this, and we want you to allow WhatsApp chats to appear in the messages app, and you know, WhatsApp people should be a send messages to iMessage contacts. Like, all of this stuff could theoretically be enforced. None of that's written in the current law. And so everybody's just kind of waiting around to see what gets stamped, if you see what I mean. Um, but clearly, the timing here, RCS is definitely a factor. I do think that... Uh, sorry, the, the EU mm -hmm. uh, element is definitely a factor to Apple adopting RCS right now. I do think over the long, 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 long term, this was inevitable. Because... You can't just support SMS forever, right? Like, at some point, they were going to have to migrate forward. And I think there's... Like, the, the lock-in arguments are a bit... They, it's definitely a thing, but it is a bit overblown. Like, I don't think Apple was never going to implement better messaging standards unless they had a government body telling them to do it. It just wasn't high on the priority list. And the EU is one reason why now it's higher on the priority list. And here it is. The other common argument that we've seen is completely baseless, in my opinion, but it was that nothing, the Android phone... Oh, no, not this yet. Yeah, had announced... <laughs> what did they call it? I don't... I, it was nothing based on... Chat. Yeah, it's yeah. based on Sunbird, which is kind of one of those third-party things where you sign in to your Apple ID on um, basically what's a Mac Mini sitting in a server farm somewhere... Then you install the Sunbird app or the Nothing Chat app or whatever on your Android phone. And you can use iMessage on Android because everything's being relayed through that Mac Mini sitting in a server farm. Yeah, you literally give them your password yes. to your Apple ID to make this You work. hand over your Apple ID password and you really have no idea what's being done with it. So some people were... And there, there, are, there are apps similar to this that run like the, the the like on github and stuff that you can run locally yeah. right so like you install a client app on your mac and so then if you have an android phone it can basically send the message to your phone through your mac yeah and there you know it's still less secure than full end-to-end -end encryption but at least in that case it's only happening running off your own computer so yeah. you, your credentials are staying locally to you and only like the text messages are sending back and forth this was basically taking the client app that you'd run locally on your Mac and just putting that into a server, which then meant everybody who ever used it would have to have all of their Apple ID credentials running through this third-party server and then all of their messages running through the third-party server, which not secure for you, which is not secure for you or the recipient, right? Because mm -hmm. the recipient could... This is the, one of the things that's particularly egregious about these kind of things is that... And Apple certainly doesn't endorse it, is that let's say I installed the Nothing Chats app, right? And signed up for the service, gave them my password. Now let's say you, Chance, don't know that I've done anything with nothing or Blue Bubbles or whatever the original app's called because the nothing app is basically just a small white labeling over another app that exists. You could then text me thinking that you've got all the benefits of end-to-end -end encryption, blah, 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 but really all your messages are getting sent through the nothing servers anyway because I've signed up to the service. So this is why it's a terrible situation. It's a terrible thing that exists and Apple always cracks down on it and they'll keep cracking down on it. But at least for the last like couple of months, they haven't done so. So all these things have popped up. Uh, but it's awful. But you're completely... But yeah, the CEO... that So they announced this on like the same week that Apple announced the RCS thing. The day thing. before. The day before. So now they're uh, but, trying to pretend like they're the sole motivation as to why this is happening. But then yesterday, they there was a thread on Twitter 
where this person found that Nothing Chats was sending all media attachments and links to those media attachments visible in plain text and messages visible in plain text through the Sunbird servers. And that went viral on Twitter and Nothing pulled the app from the Play Store and delayed the launch indefinitely. So they had their moment in the sun. Didn't didn't the CEO do like a load of cryptic tweets like basically saying that we caused this to happen like he the uh carl pay, pay i yeah. think his name yep he um he, he quoted steve jobs which is like you can see how your impact on the earth is you push here and something else pops out clearly implying <laughs> that they pushed apple to do this and then apple complied the next day obviously complete rubbish and then they had to walk back their announcement so that didn't age well i just went to carl's twitter account he should probably delete some of these tweets <laughs> considering <laughs> Nothing chats is not currently available. Even if Apple hadn't announced RCS the very next day, it was still a huge ballot for them because there was like so many security researchers showing the hundred different ways that this was a terrible idea and implemented poorly in terms of security and everything else. So what else on RCS? Because I'm trying to think of how most iPhone users are going to really benefit from this. Take something like the European Union or iMessage is big in the US, but it's not as big in other countries. And iPhones are bigger in the U.S. than a lot of other countries. So for most people, like I'm trying to think of the people who like besides my grandma who I actually talk to who don't have an iPhone. Like who is this news the biggest for? I think there's plenty of families out there who have some people using iPhones, some people using Android devices. Yeah. Or you have an Android phone and people have iPhones. Like obviously in the U.S. iPhone penetration is very high. In Europe, it's less so. And in Europe in general, you know, WhatsApp and other yeah. um, services are way more dominant. But I think you can see it like it's very easy to be like, well, Apple caved and now they're in a worse off position because now they just support the standard and they don't have the lock in anymore. There is definitely counterfactuals where one of the reasons why WhatsApp became so popular is because people were looking for a service that would interoperate and send high quality images yeah. to put all of their friends regardless of what phone they were using right so maybe by doing this over the long term you actually get more people using the apple messages app again because there won't be the downsides that people know about it right now which is that if i do want to text this friend i can't actually send them a picture right yeah. so i do think there's positives to it um you know for, for the last 10 years clearly the locking factor has made the phone more popular. But I think do people also do overblow that a bit where it's like, the only reason the iPhone's so popular in America is because of iMessage. Oh, I don't I don't really subscribe to that. Uh, there are plenty of reasons why the iMe- why iPhone is popular, way more popular in the US than other countries. And there's plenty of reasons why, you know, in Europe it's less popular. A lot of that's to do with how much it costs and the economic environment, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I think there's 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 push and pulls mm-hmm. uh, if you want to quote Carl Pay, uh, <laughs> to both sides of the equation like Apple concedes a little bit but they also do gain in some places a good side effect of this too could be that Apple say for iOS 18 next year has a whole bunch of new iMessage exclusive features planned now that they have RCS they're kind of free to and have an incentive to evolve iMessage in new ways and better ways whether that's things like read receipts in group chats that people have been asking for for years or typing indicators in group chats. It's like now Apple has more of an incentive than it used to to make the iMessage experience better. So somebody can go, well, I can get RCS on an Android phone and it's basically the same thing. 
or they can look at iMessage as it gets better and say, well, iMessage still offers X, Y, and Z that RCS doesn't, you know? Did, in your conversation uh, with Apple, obviously, the other day, did they mention the, like, emoji reactions tap back situation at all? They did not. So, at the standard level, RCS does support emoji reactions to messages, right? Mm -hmm. And iMessage doesn't. So, will RCS on iMet on the Messages app work with that, or what will happen? Like that's a that's an outstanding question because that's a feature where right now iMessage is behind, right? Yeah. But RCS technically supports it, so I imagine that that's a feature where if you're in a conversation with an Android person and they send an emoji reaction to your bubble on the iPhone, it, nothing will happen. It just won't show up. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. So either that's going to be what happens. Or it's an incentive for Apple to add emoji reactions yeah. <laughs> to, to the to the messages app in general. The timing of this, like Apple said, is sometime later next year. So who knows really what that means? It could be iOS 18. It could be a later iOS 17 update. I think it's so interesting that they announced it a year, basically around a year early, and they didn't have to. Like you said, the, what's written in the DMA now? A, we don't know that RCS is even going to make the EU get off Apple's back. And B, the deadline for the DMA is not for, is it like next summer as it's written right now? Well, the legal appeal was last week. But we knew Apple was going to appeal. Right, but maybe in their appeal, one of their arguments is like, That's true. we support open yeah. standards like RCS, right? That's a Even good if point. that doesn't, you know, even that doesn't like... Like we just said, it doesn't tick off the, it doesn't solve the problem, right? Like technically, the the DMA is broad enough on messaging that it could mean all sorts of things, right? Like on on the App Store side, it's basically like you need to support third party apps, and you can't have a monopolistic monopolistic App Store. So it's a bit more clear cut on what you need to do there to be compatible. For messaging, it's just like messaging services should all be interoperating with each other, and like. It's very vague. And so Apple, I'm sure, will part of their legal appeal be like, don't include, you don't need to inc- regulate iMessage because we're a good citizen and RCS, we're supporting RCS and we support everything and everybody can talk to each other, blah, 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 blah. And if you do want to use other, if you do want to talk to other platforms, you can go to the App Store where there's 10 other messaging apps. Like that'll be in their legal appeal 100%. And so I do think the timing right now is probably part of that. Uh, but yeah, it, it was kind of curious that they did it in this way. Um, and the the one last thing I think I'll add is you were talking about how like now it's a reason for Apple to make iMessage more mm-hmm. distinct. The thing that keeps ringing my head, uh, well I should say the thing that started ringing my head from the moment you said that a minute ago <laughs> was that Mark Gurman report from was it a year ago or a year before where he basically said Apple intends to make iMessage more of a social network. Oh yeah, and they want to like add you know feeds and like stories like Instagram stories kind of functionality and you know really expand it from just a convers- list of conversations into like a destination for people to uh, you know basically have like a private social media experience kind of like you know Facebook Messenger or something um, where you could have like stories and, and stuff but you also have chat um, and so if they're going to do RCS as the baseline adding you know more fully fledged social network and stuff over the top of it is definitely a way to separate. And I guess one of the biggest benefits of iMessage for a lot of people is the audio messaging features. And those, as far as I know, that's not something RCS really supports. So that'll continue to be a point in iMessage's iMessage's favor. Yeah, I'd have to look that up because obviously like 
if you can send a high quality video, you can probably send a high quality audio right. message too. It, there's, I, I don't know what the like attachment size limit is on RCS, but I mean, if you can send a high quality video, it's probably going to like you might be able to send an audio message over MMS today. Right, but the way iMessage does it is better. They have the transcription, yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole built-in experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there are obviously big question marks here, and we won't see the implementation until later next year. But from the way they present it, it's really I, I think it's really hard to be cynical about it. Like, the only thing you can say is maybe they should have just done this a bit sooner than they did. But now we're in the situation where they are adopting it likely legal implications are one of the factors driving it but there's also just the fact that if you are and and the and like the biggest the biggest criticism people could levy is like apple is promoting them as the privacy um centric company right that cares about user privacy and cares about individual mm-hmm. customers and yet here they are only giving you the really really insecure sms service for text messaging because they want you to buy more phones and have a profit incentive for iMessage Look, RCS is not as private and secure as iMessage, but it's definitely more private and secure than a regular SMS. Uh, and so now they support the most secure open standard for text messaging over you know, phones. And they do say in, the, in this statement that they're going to work with the standards bodies to make it even more secure over time. So maybe there is even a day where you do get internal encryption through RCS on the messages application. I don't think that's a, a pipe dream. So the Tim Cook, buy your mom an iPhone... That's going to go down in the books as kind of, what, similar to the can't innovate anymore my ass comment that didn't age particularly oh, well. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, Steve Jobs said a load of things. Oh, well, yeah. He, I mean. Everyone, like, it's, it's the sell what you have, right? Everybody talks about what they have in their lineup and, you know, things that are true five years ago becoming valid and people say stuff that goes out of the wall. Like, you can't hold people to that. Everybody says stuff that later changes decision if 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 companies only stuck to what they said publicly like f- they would literally never ship anything else because <laughs> they, they promise they, like, they have to talk about everything and they you get so locked down and rigid into stuff you said before that you'd never be able to move forward so like it's it's a funny quote right but like you know steve jobs said they would never make a phone and steve jobs said facetime would be based on an open standard <laughs> so yeah, well, that's well, next but hold your horses yeah. because the eu digital markets act also covers facetime uh, it's not just iMessage, so that whole, that's a whole can of worms. We'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, RCS on the iPhone. Eventually. Eventually. Happy Hour This Week is sponsored by Roborock, the home of home cleaning innovation. Right now, you can take advantage of Roborock's 2023 Black Friday sale with big discounts across the company's entire lineup of intelligent robot vacuums. Roborock excels in creating advanced robotic cordless and wet-dry vacuum cleaners. Roborock robot vacuums automatically navigate your home, leaving no corner untouched. Say goodbye to manual vacuuming and hello to more free time. Roborock makes some of our favorite robotic vacuums, and that's even more true now that the best discounts of the year are live. As it does every year, the company has launched its sale across all of its latest models, helping you clean up the mess of the holidays. There are deep discounts on everything from new flagship models to entry-level autonomous cleaning solutions, as well as everything in between. That includes its most popular models like the Q Revo, S7 Max Ultra, S8 Pro Ultra, and the Dyad Pro. So head to the link in the show notes now to browse the Roborock sale and get up to 45% off these popular robot vacuums. That's up to 45% off as part of the Roborock 2023 
Black Friday sale, hit up the link in the show notes. Once again, just click on that link and upgrade your home cleaning. Thanks again to Roborock for sponsoring today's episode. So you're ready to save some money at Apple on Black Friday this year, Mayo? Save money by spending money. Exactly. Apple's Black Friday (laughs) deals, same as they've always been. You can get up to a $200 gift card when you buy an eligible Apple device. So that's up to $75 when you buy an iPhone 14, 13, or SE. Up to $200 when you buy a MacBook Air or a Mac Mini. Up to $100 when you buy an iPad Mini, iPad 10, iPad Air, or iPad Pro. Up to $50 when you buy an Apple TV, HomePod, Apple Watch Series 9, or Apple Watch SE. Up to $75 when you buy a pair of AirPods. And up to $50 when you buy Beats or various Apple accessories like the Magic Keyboard. So you'll notice that a lot of the latest and greatest aren't included in the sale. So kind yeah, of, I was going to rip you for not saving $200 of buying your I MacBook was, Pro. And I was going to say, now's your chance to buy a MacBook Pro. You can save $200, <laughs> but nope. But nope. Can't, MacBook Air or Mac Mini only. And you can't even get it on the iPhone 15 either. This is very common. They normally do this. The yep. just released models don't get included in the uh, Black Friday sales uh, because those models sell out without them needing to give you gift cards. And practically speaking... If you do want to save money, don't buy it through Apple. <laughs> it's like the the short explanation. Because in most cases, you can find these products at third-party retailers, even something as like straight up as Amazon yeah. for the price minus the disc minus the gift card, except it's not a gift card, it's just the price they sell you at. It's cash. In, yeah. Yeah, literal cash. In the Apple case, you get a gift card that then you can spend on the next thing you buy. <laughs> which obviously we're all Apple fans, so you're always buying your Apple stuff. So you probably will use the gift card eventually. But for the best deals, uh, look elsewhere because in many cases you can find better than what Apple give you off uh, in terms of money off. For example, Best Buy already has the new MacBook Pro with M3 Pro for $150 off. Apple's not giving you anything. So (laughs) 9to5toys.com all through the holiday shopping season. So we wanted to do some Ask 9to5Mac to round out the holiday week episode. The first question is from Mr. Vinny R. And they ask, why does Apple have two music apps, Apple Music and Apple Music Classical? Why can't everything be in one place? Does it make strategic sense how it's set up right now? So the reason we picked this question is just, what was it, last week, Apple announced Apple Music Classical for the iPad. It's weird that it took, what, like six months to make Apple Music Classical for the iPad, but it's here. It just looks like what you'd expect it's the iphone app blown up with a sidebar and you get now playing as a bottom toolbar but it does fill the screen and it does look yeah it looks nice it it does a good job of bringing in all of the more in-depth data that comes with classical music and i think that's kind of the answer to the question presenting modern day music and presenting classical music is it's a different beast is it i don't know like I feel like they could have done it all in one app, and I still kind of feel like that'd be a better solution. Well, they kind of do. You can listen to a lot of classical music in the main Apple Music app, but if you want the extra curation and credits and all of... Because one of the things about classical music is there's so many different versions of like the same song. Yeah. It'll be like this version from 1920, then 1923 mix, 1925 mix. Putting all of that in the main music app, I don't think I don't think it had the the design isn't optimized for it and it just doesn't have the infrastructure for it. 
I think in a perfect world, you could make a single app that supported genres like classical integrated so that you don't normally see those those you know extra information or those tiles or versions but if you're searching for classical music it could then bring up that extra metadata like there's ways i think in theory that you could do that in a really smart way but i think there's a big tech deck problem here of just like the apple music infrastructure isn't that complicated to support that kind of thing yeah. so it was easier for them to go the separate route and what they did is when they acquired prime phonic which had an ios app they've taken the innards of Primephonic and put an Apple Music looking UI around it. And that's what they've shipped on iPhone, Android, and now the iPad. I think in in you know in a perfect world where you don't have the realities of shipping software, you could probably ship it all in one application and, and have all of the functionality and the you know extra search options and the extra liner notes and different versions all in one place. Uh, and that would be probably better. Uh, but mm. this isn't terrible. I think it's just kind. Of, I think the big thing with Apple Music Classical is like, is it such a huge market that Apple went to the extent of even buying Prime Phonic and doing this whole separate initiative? Like, that's what kind of still befuddles me a little bit. I'm like, yeah, yeah I've got nothing against classical music, but <laughs> was it really like such a big market or or distinguishing feature that Apple was like, yes, we really need to go out of a way to invest in this, buy this company, set up all these separate applications and continue to support it. Like that you know, there's bigger genres in Apple Music than classical that are more popular. Like they could do new them. There's just features in Apple Music that are, seem way higher at the priority list than better classical support. But they obviously see a strategic um advantage to it. I've started to think that there's some bigger picture here where maybe whatever they bought from Prime Phonic in terms of like the infrastructure is eventually going to make its way to the main Apple Music app. Like they can take some of that infrastructure and extend it to more modern music and more modern credits and different versions and without, because like you said, there's so much tech debt with how Apple Music today works. Yeah, it's definitely curious. Um, but they also, in talking, speaking about, you know, the classical investment, they also just bought another com- classical music company. Remember, we covered that on the show like did two we? weeks ago. Who did they buy? Yeah, there was. Um... Oh yeah, they bought BIS Records, a leading record label Records. to bolster Apple Music Classical. Their leading record label for classical music in Scandinavia. Yeah, I wonder why I forgot about this. This is huge <laughs> news. <laughs> So yeah. But yeah, they clearly see something in classical music. Or someone in Apple Music uh, executive team really loves classical music. Oh, they that have- reminds me. Did you see the Craig Federighi email response about... Oh, yeah, that was great. That, that somebody was great. emailed Craig Federighi and asked if he was a Taylor Swift fan. And his response, it was... I admire Taylor's craft and work ethic. And I generally enjoy her music when it comes on the radio. But I've generally directed my full, quote, fandom to other genres of music. So I guess I'm really only a Swifty as it pertains to the programming language. That's about the exact response I expected to this question. So maybe Such Craig... Such a Federico reply. Maybe Craig yeah. is the classical music, the classical music fanatic. Peter asks, what are your thoughts on Apple's goals and strategies to replace keys and IDs with Apple Wallet, as well as their payment and financial services? The Apple Wallet ID thing, every time we cover it, it is like the biggest story of the day, probably the week and sometimes the month. It's something that people are clearly excited about. But so far, Apple's rollout has been so slow. 
I think right now it's supported in four states, Arizona, Colorado, Maryland, and Georgia. I like Apple's ambitions, but it's going to be a long, long time before it's something that most people get to actually take advantage of, especially people outside of the US like you. Yeah, for sure. You could also levy the same criticism against Apple Pay. In to a degree, days. yeah. Well, because like Apple Pay like launched in 2014, and I don't think it became like super common in America until many, many years after that. Like it, these things, they take a long time, and I'm pretty sure IDs will take even longer than the Apple Pay. You know how long it took Apple Pay to become pervasive. But the idea of getting rid of this wallet in your pocket is great. Like, oh yeah, the, I don't think there necessarily has to be like a big overarching goal and strategy. I think the number one thing is. What do you have in your pocket right now? You have your phone and your wallet. And Apple's like, well, why do you need a wallet? <laughs> so like, we just want our product to do everything. And so it's real convenience if eventually one day they can just mean, well, you don't have to carry the wallet anymore and you just carry your phone. Um, so that's what they're going for. And then secondarily, the wallet app, the wallet experience is a great place for them to add on services and you know take that engagement and make and, and monetize it. Um, I don't think it's... I'm not super cynical on this. I don't think it's, like, the only reason they're doing it, right? Like, it's not just, like, yeah. money-making venture. This is number one. This is where we can really contribute here to make features that make the iPhone better as an overall experience. Um, but secondarily, it's a great place if you want to make extra money, like they're doing right now with Apple Pay Later, right? Or the Apple Credit Card, or anything else of their other payment initiatives. I'm sure there's more to come. Uh, so I think it's a great, like, nexus for them of... Here's a load of place where we can add really convenience and, fu- and functionality. And it's also a place where we can make money out of it eventually too. Remember, every single time you pay with Apple Pay, Apple is getting a cut. Yeah, they are. Not 30%. It's not <laughs> the App Store, right? It's a fractions of a penny. But every single transaction, it adds up. It adds up to, you know, they're making billions a year off Apple Pay. The other part of this too is Apple wants to replace your car keys, which is another thing that depending on what car you drive... You can add your car key to the wallet app. I think right now it's just like a handful of BMWs, a couple of Hyundais and Kias. I think that's all. But that's another thing that Apple says you have your phone, your wallet, and you might have keys. So you can use car key for your car, home key through the Apple Home app for your house. And they actually started, um, again, I think it was last week. Wow, they announced a lot last week. <laughs> they jo- they started, they are spearheading a new oh, yeah. uh, standards committee for specifically using ultra wideband to unlock your car. So they're going, they're gunning for it. Because we actually saw in iOS 16, I think, that Apple is working to phase out NFC support for car key. And it only wants to use ultra wideband going forward. So that's, that's a big change because NFC requires you to tap your phone on the side of your car to open it. Ultra-wideband is just intelligent enough to unlock as you walk closer. And there are cars that already do this with like Bluetooth, like Tesla does it. My Ford Mustang Mach-E does it. But obviously everything being in ultra-wideband in the wallet app is like the ideal future. And one day in an Apple car too. Yeah, one day in Apple car. Heidi Coley asks, what do you expect from the next generation AirTag? So again, ultra-wideband think the most obvious thing is the U2 chip inside. Yep. The don't call it U2, yeah, U2 chip. The second gener- second generation ultra wideband. Which for the iPhone is up to three times the range for precision finding mm-hmm. from iPhone to iPhone. Be great to get that on the AirTag like 
you know, you just come out with a new generation air tag. You say you can detect it with precision fighting from up to three times the distance. I mean, that's a sale right there. Like, that's great. I, I think precision fighting is useful when you're within the radius, but quite often you're just not in the radius for it, so you can't use it. Um, so if you can just do that with longer range, like, great. Because right now it's like, you know, five to ten meters, at which point you might as well just make it make a sound and then you just use your ears to turn around. Um but when you're getting the 30, 50 meters that, that you can get with the ultra wideband second generation chip, uh, you know, then precision finding from further away is way more valuable and compelling. And I don't think you really need, like, I'm sure they'll have, you know, a bit of extra battery life, maybe some mm-hmm. different styles. Like, I think if they really want to push the air tag forward, they should do like a wallet version. Yeah, yeah like different a, designs like, oh, is the big thing. Yeah, different design options. I'd love for it just to have a hole in it rather than you have to get a case just to put a hole in so you can put it on a key ring, right? Well, then they can't sell um, you the $29 key ring, so. Yeah, so I don't necessarily expect that's going to happen, but I think the AirTag is a accessory product in the fullest sense of the word. I don't anticipate them to make it a huge product line with you know different form factors and stuff. It'd be nice if they did, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think you give it the second generation chip, give it a bit more battery life, and then maybe do some colors. Like they love to just slap some colors on this. It doesn't have to be white all the time. It could be like black or whatever else. Uh, and then you've got a pretty compelling V2 of what seems to be a relatively popular accessory. Like I hear normal people talk oh, about yeah. tags. Like they put stuff on places. So uh, they they must have sold millions of them. Although the most recent report from Ming Chi Kuo said that AirTag 2 won't arrive until 2025. So. I assume these things are selling so well and they're so easy to make that Apple's in no rush to to update it. Nick Carey says they are buying an M3 iMac and they want to know how much RAM do you recommend for gaming? 16 gigabytes or 24 gigabytes? Mayo, you're probably the most... I included this question uh, as a bit of a red herring because I'm not sure I'd recommend an M3 iMac for gaming. That's where I thought you might be going. So why do you say that? Okay, the GPU in the base M3 is okay, but it's not really competitive to play modern games. Like, you can probably play League of Legends on it because you can play League of Legends on, like, 10-year-old computers, 5-year-old computers at, like, max resolution without a problem. Uh, But any modern game, like even the um, Resident Evil Village, right, that Apple loves to talk about, which is a couple of years old on PC, uh, even that you're going to have to run at pretty low... um, quality options to run on the m3 chip because uh, the gpu the gpu just doesn't have the teraflops you need to push the pixel to push the pixels and that is going to be your limiting factor more than ram so if you are going to buy it because i like let's say you like do some very casual gaming but you also just want a nice computer which is definitely when i bought my first imac i played starcraft and league of legends on that and that was just like a base imac from 2010 and yeah, obviously, if you bought a computer, like a PC, you could get better graphics, but you just want a nice all-in-one computer that can also play some games, and you like Mac, so here you go. Um, nothing wrong with that, but just be aware that it's not the perfect choice if you're looking for a gaming option. Uh, but if you are going to do that, I wouldn't bother getting 24 gigs of RAM. I don't think it would make much difference uh, to the graphical fidelity. 16 should be perfectly fine. So if you were to recommend something that's not an iMac, but in a similar price range, would the mac mini with an m2 pro be a better choice yes obviously you need the display i mean let me put it this way i have a windows pc for a reason yeah right uh only this year with like the m3 max m3 ultra chips 
which obviously isn't even out yet, right? So, okay, let me take the M2 Ultra chip as well in that equation. Are you reaching the graphical performance you can get with dedicated graphics cards in Windows PCs? You're Obviously, you're getting a lot of downsides too when you buy a Windows PC because <laughs> you have to get graphics cards that are huge and make a lot of fan noise and spin and are really loud and need a lot of power. So like, there are compromises on both sides. But if gaming is your number one priority, don't buy a Mac, even today. And finally, Leo wants to know, what are the most realistic advancements to Siri and AI generally in the Apple ecosystem that we can hope for next year? So this ties into the iOS 18 rumors from Mark Gurman saying that Apple's basically hoping to bring AI to as many aspects of the iPhone as possible. I think last week we kind of, at least I was kind of like, I don't know how well this is going to go. Yeah, It's ambitious and apparently compelling to <laughs> to want to bring AI to everything at once. I think the place they'll start with, though, is Siri. What do you think? Siri or somewhere else? Yeah, I think Siri has some very obvious ways that you can enhance it with machine learning understanding. And I don't think it's just about like, well, you can ask it a dumb question and it can chatbot you back an answer like ChatGPT, right? Like that's an easy feature because, you know, you just need a language model these days and you can make that work. But even that's but, something Siri doesn't really do that well right now because it'll just throw you yeah, out so to they Google. don't do that right now. So they, yeah, 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 exactly. So they could do that and people be impressed with it but i don't think that's very useful day to day in a lot of cases because uh. like you know you can you can ask it silly questions and give you silly answers right like it's great but like what's the point i i think a clear way they can make siri meaningfully better right now is to use machine learning models like llms to pass the um query that you say to it so it transcribes your query and then take and then so basically, there's three steps, right, to Siri, right? There's the mm -hmm. transcription, which takes your voice and turns it to text. The modern transcription models and dictation models on Apple devices is very good. So generally, it gets it right, at least for English. The second step is taking that query and working out what you mean, as in, like, here's this natural language question. Figure out what the user is actually trying to do. And then the third part is doing the action, right? Siri has quite a lot of actions it can actually do, you know? Start timers, play music control your home kit equipment, you know, control many parts of your phone. I find the biggest limiter is the second part. Because, yeah, there's other domains that you'd like Siri to do, but at least you know that it's, it can never do those things. So I focus my usage of Siri on the categories that I do know it can do, right? You know, setting timers, asking for the weather, controlling my smart home equipment. But sometimes it just doesn't understand what you mean because it gets confused with the passing of the language. So unless you're talking very specific syntax it can be ambiguous and then it kind of falls over. And that's an area where I feel like an LLM is way better at understanding context of your actual question and it could much more reliably pass the interpretation of the query to the ultimate action. So I literally had this happen yesterday. I, I have HomeKit lights, as we spoke about on the show before, in like all my rooms downstairs. And so I wanted to turn on the lights in the hall, right? So I said, you know, turn on the hall lights. And it went, I can't do multiple, I can't control multiple <laughs> accessories at one time. I only have one light in the hall, right? And I've done this query, very similar words, many, many times before. But this time, for whatever reason, it interpreted it as wanting to turn on like many lights in different rooms or like, you know, and it, and it, it basically said, I can't do this because I can't control multiple devices simultaneously. Ask me differently. But, like, I'm not asking it to do anything it can't do. I just want it to turn on the lights in the hall. 
And a hundred percent of a language, a, a large language model would know what I mean by that query, and it would get it right. And so I think if they just insert the large language model in that middle section, they would make Siri way more liable overall, especially for things like HomeKit control, playing music. Because a lot of the time you can ask, like you know, if you ask Apple Music, you do an Apple Music query with Siri, it doesn't really grasp. You know, it gets confused. It stumbles over like playlist names versus song names versus artist names. Large language models are perfect at solving that kind of problem. And if you only do, if you only insert in that section of the pipeline, Mm -hmm. you also avoid a lot of the issues around hallucinations because you're not asking it to just like wax lyrical for paragraphs at a time. You know, coming up with a response to your question. It's only the end result of the UI will still be the same functions that it does today. It's just it will more reliably get to do those functions. That's where I would start. So you think Apple should focus pretty much purely on Siri to start and not... Because some of the stuff Mark Gurman's also reported is things like Apple Music, the text generation and things like Apple and Pages and Keynotes and even in Messages to a certain degree. But Siri feels like the low-hanging fruit. That is 100% where they should start. Like... Do I care if Pages can write my document for me right now? No, I do not. Do I care that when I speak to Siri on my phone, watch, headset, TV, <laughs> Mac, you know, pick your device anytime when your hand's free and it doesn't get it right? Like, the thing about all those other things you just mentioned, mm-hmm. they're not features, right? Like, Siri is literally a feature that ships yeah. right now. And it could be way better. And here's a technology that can make it way better. 100% that should be their priority. And in fairness, the Mark Gurman report does seem to emphasize that they are actively working on that. So I don't think they've got their priorities mixed up. The The iCloud, the iWork app stuff that you mentioned did seem more secondarily thing. Um, they're probably going to focus on Siri, Messages, and maybe Apple Music. That seemed to be the the kind of inference I got from the most recent Mark Gurman report is that was their like leading focus areas but they are considering putting it all over the shop for future years and this could be an opportunity too for siri to kind of not only catch up to the amazon assistant and the google assistant but jump ahead because we haven't really oh, yeah, seen I, when i mean when i listed off of those places i didn't even mention the home pod yeah the, you yeah. know the actual dedicated product that is purely voice controlled because <laughs> <laughs> we haven't seen amazon or google really bring the large language model idea to their people in a tube you know they They will they will but they haven't yet yeah so if this is what apple's focus is on it's possible that siri could leapfrog a little bit in that department all right i think that does it for this week you can find us on apple podcasts where you can leave us a rating and a review and also find an ad free version of the show for five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year you can send us feedback happy hour at nine to five mac.com you can find me on Threads, Twitter, Mastodon, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, what about you? At BZA Mayo. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.